From McKinsey & Company Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we continue our series on bias busters, and specifically how executives can avoid falling prey to cognitive and organizational biases that can get in the way of good decision-making. Joining me today in our New York office are McKinsey partner Tim Kohler and Dan Lavallo, a former McKinsey consultant and professor of business strategy at the University of Sydney. They, along with Olivier Siboney, a former McKinsey partner, recently wrote an article on being objective about budgets. This is part of our larger series on bias busters. Tim and Dan, welcome. I think everyone understands the situation that you address in this article. During the budget planning process, the numbers you end up with in the end are usually pretty close to the ones that you started out with. It's something that you refer to in the article as anchoring. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Anchoring was something developed by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, and it refers to the tendency to anchor on any number given. One of the best examples of it was people were asked to estimate Gandhi's age at death, and uh, this may be imprecise, but one group was given a, an age of like 10, and another was given an age of 140. And these are obviously completely ridiculous numbers, but they strongly impacted the predicted age of death. Now, if something that you know is ridiculous impacts your forecasts, then imagine how much more salient last year's budget is. And we call this endowed anchoring. So you're endowed with this anchor, which is what you did last year. It's a stronger anchor than 10 years old being when Gandhi died. But you're, so you're anchored to that in psychological ways. And, and Tim's probably better place to talk about how hard it is to move these organizational anchors and budgets. Thank you, Dan. First off, another example that I think is interesting where we've asked groups of executives. You take a group of executives in a room, split them into two. You give one group a set of opportunities for different resource allocation for the coming year and what the payoffs would be, et cetera. And that's all you give them. The second group, you give them that exactly the same information, plus you give them the information about how the resources were allocated across units prior. the prior year, right? And what you find is the answer is very different between the two groups just because that second group automatically assumes this bias, either you know maybe last year's was right or, or whatever reason, but there is sort of an innate push towards what happened last year. And that is a major problem that has to be overcome in organizations. And so organizations typically start with last year and then sort of move up or down incrementally. Rarely do they start from scratch and think through What's the best place to allocate our resources? And you can see this in the whole economy. We've done a study that looks at business segments, which are proxies for business units. Uh, the data comes from CompuStat. But the year-on-year -year correlation between a different business unit's allocations. And what you find is for the, we could call them top third or bottom third, but for the lowest allocators, you find that the correlation is 0.99. And for, for the median allocators, it's something around 
0.93, something like that. And then, and then for the highest reallocators, it goes below 0.9. What that's telling you is that if you have some way to move your resources across your business units, the returns are a lot higher. And so loosening this up is a very, very big deal. And not enough companies are focused on it. So for that top third of companies, people produce these huge strategy books every year, right? Or in strategic plans, and they spend a lot of time on it. And for most companies, you would save a lot of time if you got a dartboard out that said, we're not reallocating anything to some very small number, throw the dart and be done with the whole process because that's why you see these strategic plans up on the shelves and rarely used, but companies can spend up to three months doing it. Clearly there's an unconscious bias that's going on with anchoring, but then there might also be reasons why budgets don't change year to year. I'd imagine it's quite disruptive to reallocate people and capital dramatically Mm -hmm. um, on a year to year basis. How have you seen companies that have overcome the anchoring bias actually then overcome some of those other challenges associated with significant reallocation? I might challenge your premise about how difficult it is to to, to do that. I think that that's an excuse oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that you're going to change every year a lot, Mm -hmm. okay? But, well, across different, say, business units, right? So, in other words, if one business unit is is on the upswing and it needs more resources, that's probably gonna be the same for a couple of years versus sure. a business unit which is more mature so or whatever. So it's not like you're gonna be changing a lot rapid, from year to right. year. So I, I don't think it's a good excuse to say it's hard to do it, right? Because okay. you need to do it at some point or another sure. and better to do it sooner rather than later. Sure. With respect to projects, though, it is much easier, right? Because you typically have resources that you can do. And so for example, what some of the oil companies do is they will just do a forced ranking, right, of all the different projects, projects, right? And then they can sort of pick the projects, you know, initially, you know, do it mechanically and pick the projects which have the highest returns regardless. And you might make some modifications later on. But that type of a technique, and you can do it for business units as well, where you start out with something which is a forced ranking, which Mm -hmm. ignores history, is entirely Mm forward-looking. And therefore your starting point in the discussion is an allocation which is very different sometimes than what you did last year. And then you might sort of modify it a little bit, but at least you've got a starting point which pushes you away from the anchor of last year. So one of the things that I enjoy about working with McKinsey is I often do an academic article that takes years and years and years, (laughs) and we do a version that has the same answer more quickly, but you have to prove it beyond XX percent. But anyway, in turning some of this research into an academic article, what we found was shocking. We thought that as you reallocate too much, there would would be a drop-off, right? And that's only true for 1% of people who reallocate the most. So almost everybody, I can say with 95% academic certainty, almost everybody can do better if they reallocate more. Given the importance of eliminating this this anchoring as, as a bias, in the article you talk about three steps that one can take to sort of 
remedy the situation. Can you talk a little bit more about, about those three steps? So one of the steps is to make sure you have some non-historical way to come up with an allocation or a forecast. Okay. Um, non-historical to your current to your, situation. To your company. To your company, exactly. So that you know your starting point is not already anchored in what happened last year, right? So you sort of look at it with a clean sheet as a starting point before you maybe even compare it to what happened last year. And that'll help push you in, in the right direction. Obviously, that there has to be some fact base behind that. Sure. Um, there has to be some good analysis, you know, why that would be better. But, you know, doing that will sort of help to break that. that that's one of the things that will help so, to break that anchor. And let me add to that. You know, this is a little bit like how you form a reference class and a little bit like how you do a regression. Pick some of the biggest indicators. So, in other words, let's say you're a consumer goods company and you've got a store in Hong Kong, right? Mm -hmm. You might look at the growth of the, the entire sector, the growth in Hong Kong, and the growth of your product line, right? And just, this is a quick and dirty thing. It doesn't have to be fundamentally detailed. So you, you take these attributes and you run a quick prediction, you know, quick regression model, and predict what you think the sales would be in the Hong Kong store for this product line, right? And then you're going to compare that to what your inside view, which, which means focusing on your own plans and actions, and last year's budget to set up a different anchor. So the only way to fight an anchor is with a Another new anchor. anchor. So the first thing was creating the, the data for the fact base. Sure. And the second thing is to calibrate a simple sales forecast for our uh, consumer goods company in China. Right. And this model, as I said, is not meant to be strictly accurate. It's just the best piece of advice. And what this does then is it provides you with a second anchor okay. that you can use. And the, the beauty of this isn't just that it provides you with a second anchor that's gonna help you be more accurate. But what you'll find is that 80% of the time, the two numbers are gonna be close. So those budget discussions- Are easy. Yeah, very easy. And you don't have to spend all that time on each budget discussion. So it's a big time saver. And then with the 20% where they're off, those are the tough discussions that you focus on. So it's not only a way to get a better forecast, it's a way to be more efficient with your time. Another thing, in addition to the techniques that Dan just talked about, we can sort of use these techniques to come up with a different anchor, right? That's, that's right. a good thing. The other thing you have to overcome, though, is the internal dynamics or politics of the organization, sure. right? So, for example, one technique people will use is to try to, you know, talk to everyone who's going to be in a meeting before the meeting to get them to buy in. Right. So there's no debate at the meeting, right? So they get their point of view. Uh, or, you know, people will go around the process directly to the CEO right. uh, to sort of say, well, you know, I really need this resources, you know, because the person knows that they're not going to be getting them because they're going to go somewhere else otherwise. So you really have to be much more strict about the processes that you go through to overcome 
those internal dynamics that will work against the more fact-based objective reallocation. Because people's prestige, their view of how they perceive in the organization are all at stake here. And they're not often looking at it from the perspective of the whole company. Mm -hmm. So they're going to try to move things back to where they had them often cases, particularly sure. those who got a lot of resources. So you have to make specific steps to prevent that from happening. And so does that lend itself more, Tim, to an annual budget process or one where it happens more regularly? Because you know, like, is there a way to lower the stakes so that then there's not as much of that pressure to try and save your resources? I think it's maybe impractical to go entirely to a, a non-annual process. Right. I mean, it's nice in, 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 in theory. There are some things you can do, though, to make it better. One is we did some research and we found that when companies did their strategic planning at the beginning of the year, they put together a three to yep. five year forecast, sure. right? The first year of that forecast ideally should be the, the budget for the next year. Right. But what we found was that when companies actually got around to budget time, they did the strategic plan in June or whatever, they do the budget in October, that the budget reverted back to the prior year's allocation, even though in their strategic plan, they were going to have a big reallocation. In, right. right. So one thing, for example, you can do is be more precise or re require that, you know, that you don't make changes from that three to five year plan to the next year's budget through the process. Right. Another thing you can do to give you more flexibility during the course of the year is to not allocate all of the resources to keep during some, that. Hold some back. So hold some back either for the CEO or for the, uh, say, the investment committee or whatever or, you know, body makes those decisions so that as things come along, you can allocate new resources. And the other thing you need to do as well is you need to make sure that even if you did allocate something to a project, if you're not going to start spending the money until next September, that when September comes around, you actually revisit and say, do we still want to spend it? So you might take money back as well. Sure, sure. So you might have a budget but it's not set in stone. You can add pieces in some cases and take it away as you gain more information. I know it's not easy to do, mm -hmm. but it's not undoable because you have a lot of information that allow you to be able to make those adjustments during the year. And another process-oriented way to, to move budgets, and we found this in research and also with clients, is to have more bottom-up requests than top-down demands. So in other words, if the top of the corporation says, this is Division A's budget, this is Division B's budget, this is Division C's budgets, you're very unlikely to move, it to move things around. And our evidence also suggests that you're less likely to outperform as well when you have things that are too top-down oriented because it just doesn't provide for any new ideas or, 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 or significant shifting. So how do you do that bottom-up more effectively then? Because that sounds like it'd be a lot more work than a top-down budget. One way to do it is to ask each unit to come up with a number of scenarios. What would they do with additional resources, mm -hmm. right? So they would come up and say maybe with four different scenarios. Say, well, here's our baseline. If we got 10% you know, more resources, we'd do this. If we got 25% more, we'd do this. If we got 10% less, this is what would happen. So that the corporate center can then sort of see how these things fit together. Because each individual unit doesn't know what the opportunities are for the other units. Right. First, you have to do a good job of creating the different scenarios, 
right? And then you have to have a body who's in a position to sort of say, okay, I'd rather this unit improve or get 10% more, we'll take it away from this unit in order to come up with a better uh, end result. This is an important point. Rather than presenting one initiative at a time, you should have multiple options that attack that initiative. That gives corporate a better view on what they could do and what they could shift. Because if you just give them one, you know, it's kind of a take it or leave it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm makes it harder to shift resources. And, and you're not just shifting resources to shift them. We've shown that it definitely leads to increased performance. So, Any final thoughts you'd like to share before we close out our session? So in addition to Gandhi, in the real world, anchoring happens all the time. Sure. And last night I was at dinner with uh, Danny Kahneman, and he's a very generous guy. He took out me and my family, and he said, Order any wine you want. And so we were at a nice French restaurant, but with a fairly limited wine list. And one of the wines was priced in the $100 region. And then there are a bunch of wines in the $200 region. And then there was one wine in the $500 region. <laughs> so we got the list. And Danny said, you know, they're anchoring us. Uh, and um, and I said, yeah, but they're making a mistake. They're giving us two anchors. And then the waiter came back. He said, I'm sorry, we've got a new list. And they'd made a wise decision. They got rid of the $100 wine. <laughs> so that there was only one anchor at the $500 level. And... Uh, we ended up getting a $200 wine. <laughs> Tim, Dan, thanks very much for joining us today. For a full transcript of today's episode and links to all of our past podcasts, please check out our page on mckinsey.com under the Strategy and Corporate Finance section. While there, you will also find some other articles in our Bias Buster series. And if you'd like to receive updates on all our new content, we encourage you to sign up for email updates on our website or to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again for joining us today.